What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. fans how you doing it's your boy john of the macri with you for another episode of um my escape from the stresses of reality that is what i am renaming the next film school podcast john of the macri's escape from the stresses of reality um jeremy cohen i i trust you uh know what i mean by that i won't say anything else about it though um how are you jeremy what's going on it's good. Um, <laughs> our HVAC is completely busted. Oh, so, great. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, every, other than that, I mean, life's good. I'm excited. It's great to see baseball coming back. Well, you know, who knows how long it'll be back, but basketball's on the horizon. Uh, hockey is going to be back. You know, I don't know if you're, for those of you out there, you might not be a big baseball fan, a big hockey fan. I really like both. So it'll be great to see the Yankees, in my case, and the Rangers back in action. But yeah, it's, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's kind of weird to get back to real life, at least that stage of it where we can still kind of have entertainment. Um, but we'll, you know, it's, it's something, right? We've got something to catch our attention right now. It, it is, uh, it is something. It, I'm not going to lie. Things have been, um, you know, which I, I won't get into not, not it, it, for those listening at my, my hemming and hawing. Um, nothing, nothing bad is going on in the Macri household, but suffice it to say that my, um, uh, ability to kick back and relax and flip on the old TV has been, uh, not much of late. Um, if I was, if I was going to turn on the TV to watch sports, it would have been to see Tiger and I couldn't even get to that. Like I did not watch a pitch of Yankees Mets last night. We're recording this on, on Sunday. Um, I'm sure I, at some point we'll flip on a baseball game. Um, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for basketball. That's, I'm not going to lie. You know, and we're, how, what are we, we're 12 days. So it's, it's a Thursday. Yeah. So we're essentially a week and a half away. Yeah. I mean, what, it's going to maybe have Zion that first game. We'll see. <laughs> Listen, if he can walk. Yeah. They'll let him go. <laughs> like he may, he can wheel him out there. Um, so, all right, let's, um, we want to talk about, because we, me and Jeremy have <laughs> have spent so many months, literally, talking about theoretical approaches to roster building for next season, and um, you know, news came out about how the roster might look next year, um, and we have not gotten a chance to talk about it, even though I know, you know, I think you've talked about it on another show, I've talked about it on another show, but we haven't talked about it together, and I think we want to we want to hit that for some very particular reasons. But before that. Um, let's just kind of get the lay of the land on, on the coaching. I was about to say coaching search. Do you, Jeremy, the, the search is over, right? Yeah. It's, uh, I feel like it's not much of a search by this point. It's just the coaching decision. And even then, is it really much of a decision? 
So can I tell you what I've heard? Please do. So I, I've been, I have not, the closest I came to tweeting this was when I retweeted Berman's article the other day. And I said something like, cause Berman, the words he used were, he referred to Thibodeau as the Knicks top choice, which is the, as far as I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's the first time anyone's actually ever do, has done that. Correct. I believe so. I mean, unless he was saying it more in terms of the the belief that what other people said where he was no, I, he, the front runner, but he that's listen, Berman's gets a lot of shit. Uh, uh, he doesn't he won't type the words out unless he means to type them out in the way he types them out. And he typed out that Tibbs was the Knicks top choice. Um, and I like kind of put my own spin on it in the retweet where I was like, you know, it's it sounds like they've picked him and they're just working out the contract. So I'll I'll I will say that I have heard from a couple of different places that that is what is going on. They pick Tibbs and they're working at the contract. That said, my understanding from reading the, the scrolling through the old, the old Twitter uh, feed is that I am not the only one to have been told this from multiple people. And it seems like, and I don't go on Reddit, but it seems like Reddit is ablaze with this particular rumor that they're basically working out the contract with, with Tibbs, have you do you go on Reddit? Or are you familiar with this? Yes, I do go on the Knicks subreddit. I mostly lurk, but I certainly <laughs> have posted in the past. Because no, really, it's the sort of thing where the and maybe people who are familiar with this might agree, maybe not. But it's the sort of thing where the sub has kind of devolved in a way where there's just so much chaos and there's so much uncertainty that a lot of it is turned to negativity, and I think people are just very impatient about what's going on. The fact that like by now, right, we should have known who the head coach is, who the Knicks drafted, who they signed in free agency, who they acquired, like all these different things that in a normal year. That's a great point. Would have happened. It's and, a great point. And people, it's like a pack of starved dogs that haven't been <laughs> able to get any source of meat. Like I just watched Chernobyl and they talked about, they talked about the dogs. I'm sorry. Back, and it was like, well, what do they eat? And it was like, well, uh, they turn to the chickens, and the chickens are all dead. It's like then they'll turn to themselves. Wait, is Tom Thibodeau the chicken, or the is the, uh, yeah? Uh, that's a he's, he's the dog, I guess. Oh, he's like, the dog. Or, okay. or yeah, or he's the Soviets who go into the. T- I won't spoil <laughs> in case anyone hasn't seen Chernobyl. But well, the point listen, is, if you don't know what happens at the end of Chernobyl, I meant I meant in terms of like the details. If you don't know what happens, uh, that's Chernobyl, fair. Please that's just fair. just pause the podcast right now, or while you're listening to this, just go look up Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, you can do two things anyway. at once. You multitask. Anyway, exactly. continue. But yeah, so it's it's an entire fan base that's rabid because uh, because of the fact that they so desperately want tangible information. And what have we heard for the last month and a half? Like, okay, well, we're, there's going to be a coaching search, and it's going to conclude by the end of July. But at first, we didn't hear that because I remember even a month ago, we had the conversation towards the end of a pod where it was like, do you think that the the coach is going to get picked? Yeah. And I said, I don't think it's going to be this week, but I could see it being next week. And that was a month ago. So it's just once we find information, and for those of you who are active on Twitter and you've seen what this week has been, uh, in my opinion, it has been a hilarious just, just experience of bloodshed. Oh, please. Right? I've, it's the sort of thing where – I got roped into people, threads, man. Ugh. Oh, I bet. I know, I bet. Because, again, it's it's just people are very – um, they're very eager about this coaching search, of course, it's but so a lot of us are very adamant about the choices that we want. And it kind of gets to a place where we create new debate or we create 
um, an even larger debate that needs to happen because the fact it's like, all right, we know that they interviewed everyone, right? By this point, I think, for example, it's very easy to tell. And again, could be wrong. We could we we know that the media is not 100% accurate all of the time. It's very easy that this could be completely out of left field and they go with someone else. But everything about what we've been reading, especially from the beat, I mean, you talked about Berman. I thought Bondi's article was fantastic. Yes. I mean, uh, Bagley has been doing a lot of work. It seems to me that these are people who are either counting their chickens to the point where uh, they're really hoping that, uh, that Tibbs is the coach and that they can say, look, we already wrote this. I didn't really get that impression. I got the sense it was like, it's a done deal. So let's just get ahead of this That's, now. Can we just like, and I want to shout it out in particular, Bondi's piece that he wrote on Tibbs, one, if like, if you're listening to this and you want to read like one Nick's piece of content this week, go, go read Bondi's piece on Tibbs. It's like the, the re the reporting he did and the people he talked to and the quotes that he got, it's like, it's really good. It's really, really good. So shout out to Stefani for that. Um, but on the same, on the, uh, by the same token, I think, yeah, I think that's appropriate for this. By the same token, um, Bondi ain't, I, I, my guess is that Bondi ain't spending the time it took to pull that piece together without being pretty damn sure. And, and look, Bondi tweeted, you know, whatever it was a month, a month and a half ago. And he referenced me in the tweet, which I appreciate is that he's here. He's heard that like it's Tibbs job to lose. And that coincides with everything that it seems like other people have been hearing. It coincides with what I've been hearing. The, the one thing, and, and, and sorry, Bagley's also had, like he it, interviewed Nate Robinson about Tibbs. There's been other stuff. The one thing that gives me pause is that, so I'm going to, I'll peel back the curtain a little bit. So the way, like, you know, anytime you see a tweet from, um, like a Knicks beat reporter where it's like league sources confirm or this, that, or the other, that just means that they've contacted the Knicks PR person, um, Greg Schwartz, very, very nice man. Um, and either like they've gotten an affirmation as to something that has been rumored or reported without confirmation or not. Like, I, I've spoken to Greg because I heard something recently and I, you know, I just wanted to check it out. And he was unequivocal. And I don't think I'm I'm violating any any code by saying this. He's just like, look, Leon Rose is playing this one close to the vest. He's not when we when we have something to tell you, we will tell you. So I think, you know, th those were his words. And that's every Knicks fan's dream, by the way, right? Which is, is great. You know, and, 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 you know, it is. We've wanted this forever. And I think we've finally gotten it, which is why I'm like, man, is it really the case that, like, there are all these leaks to the point that subreddit and Reddit and however many other Reddits there are, like, are, are I probably sounded just like such an old man there. My God. <laughs> Um, that's all right. You know, we won't talk about Reddit. We won't talk about Instagram. We'll just focus on Nick's basketball. Please, please do. Um, like really has this leaked or, or is there something else going? And as, as far as like what the something else is, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Is there going to be something that comes out in a few days where it's like Nick's and Tibbs couldn't agree on a contract and this was all like, laying the groundwork for the softening of that blow. I like my mind this, this is where my mind goes when I hear shit, when I, when I think about this too much. I yeah. 
you know, I mean, one of the things that really kind of uh, got to me, not in a negative way, just uh, the most telling, I think, was when Berman said that Tibbs was reviewing film of the Knicks in preparation. And to me, it's like, okay, well, why would you be reviewing film of the Knicks right now after you've already completed your interviews and the entire interview process is done? I mean, yes, you could do that to try to get ahead of the job and then hypothetically the Knicks may not extend the job offer to you, but hey, you're just a little bit more prepared. But if that's the case, I mean, it just seemed to me like, okay, this is someone who's clearly doing his homework because he knows that this is work that has to get done. It's not going to be all for naught, right? Like I've done job interviews before where I have had to do a presentation and I've prepared them and, you know, I could leave that and I, I present it to them and then I leave and I do more research because I feel really good about the inter interview and it doesn't work out for a reason or two or a plethora. Who knows? Do we but really just, think that's what happened here? No, no, exactly. It's the sort of thing where it seems to me where there's just so many, and again, this could be, this could be incorrect, but Everything about this, the signs seem to indicate, and as you've reported since February, that this feels like a match that's made in heaven, at least from their perspective. And adding World Wide West certainly solidifies that. And this belief where what I've really been thinking about is the Knicks and their what Leon Rose said about trying to turn this around and um, Steve Stout and the brand and everything. And I think this is another big thing about Kenny Atkinson versus Tibbs, because at this point, I mean, that's essentially what the discussion has come down to. Whether or not Kenny Atkinson and Tom Thibodeau are top two or even uh, is another question. But in terms of the fan base, it seems like this past week has primarily been Tibbs versus Atkinson. And it's the sort of thing where if you really want to reinvigorate the brand, it's the sort of thing where and we've talked about this. It's not this is going to be an accelerated rebuild. That doesn't mean that you're going to give up on all of your young pieces. It just means that and the reality is that there aren't going to be all of these assets or P or players in house by the end of next year. It's just not going to happen. And I, I, you're kind enough to include my tweets and even call me a friend in your article. That was very nice. Of you. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and it's mutual. And it was a sort of thing where if there are 13 assets between now and summer 2021 where they're all going to be under 24 years old, under contract or restricted free agents, yeah. that's that's just too many people. That's 86% of the roster that's 24 and under. So, of course, not everyone is going to be here. And this is a new front office. So it obviously makes sense if you start packaging. And and I know that you guys talked about this, you, JB, and uh, Posting a Toasting Show. It's the sort of thing where you're never going to have this rebuild where you just take all these guys in and spit them out and you hope that you catch one or two guys. Like that's a, that's a great philosophy to have, especially if you don't have your draft picks and you need to find any sort of asset you can. But that's not what, that's not the position the Knicks are in. The Knicks aren't the Nets. And that was the big thing for me where it's like I know that there are plenty of people who view Atkinson and Tibbs as both great coaches, right? And the Knicks could do great with either one, uh, but people certainly have their preference. But it's the sort of thing where I I sort of get this sense where it's like Atkinson is potentially being viewed essentially as a savior. And again, people can say the same thing about Tibbs, and I, I wouldn't disagree. But it's like, okay, well, yes, he's being viewed as a savior, but it seems like you just want to kind of have this organic rebuild when that really isn't a thing. And for every organic rebuild you have, even if it is a thing – you could have a team like the Magic, 
who are what in eighth place right now. They have a very crowded front court. Their future, they don't have a great lead guard. I mean, Fultz is making strides, but uh, and um, quick aside, I was listening to the Yankees game on Yes, and the announcer for uh, during a commercial break said something like, "Tune in to see the Nets." Uh, battle for the contested seventh seed in the bubble. <laughs> is that how they phrase it? They said the coveted seventh seed. And the like, coveted seventh seed. Selling? You're marketing that? Oh, my God. I, I mean, know. it's certainly more covered than the eighth seed. I'll say that. Yes, of course. But, you know, that sort of thing where, again, I I think that uh, maybe this can lead into our next discussion because, obviously, yeah. we talked about vets. And it shouldn't be such a trigger word. I know that for Knicks fans it is because of what we've seen in the past – and maybe it turns into the same thing, but I think I speak for you, John, where saying that a roster with vets and wanting something like what we saw versus something completely different, it, it's not equivocal. Like, I don't want to see veterans take so much time over the best young players that the Knicks have where it overshadows them or doesn't make them better. I want vets who come in who are complementary players who can shoot, who can play make, who can defend, who can let let the young players drive the offense, but they create opportunities for them to help everyone succeed. And that obviously was not what happened with Alfred Payton or Julius Randle or Bobby Portis. It's it's the sort of thing where one-year deals aren't a death sentence. They're yes, you can have mercenaries, but it's not to the point where if you if you find the wrong guys, then you're going to have trouble. But if you find the right pieces and you have the money to spend, and if you go out and get say like three veterans and a salary dump and you primarily play RJ and Mitch and whoever this year's pick is and maybe Frank if he's still here and maybe Knox if he's still here like that to me is a completely different situation because there were nine players who played I think uh, 23 minutes or more this past season and only two of them were younger than 22 years old it was RJ and Mitch and if you swap out a couple of those pieces for this year's draft pick for Frank, maybe one other guy, then you're talking about a completely different landscape. All of that is you're spot on. And people look at this stuff as black and white and it's not. And I want to say a couple things. One, every player, and this may sound sacrilegious at first, but, and I've said things that would appear to be the opposite of what I'm about to say, but it'll make sense in a second, I think. Every player that, that's on last year's Knicks Include Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, name anybody, Alfred Payton. Every one of those guys is capable of making life easier for other players around them on the court if they are put in the right situation. And as proof of that, look at Portis, right? Has anyone gotten more shit last Did anyone get more shit last year than Portis? I don't maybe Randall, but probably not. Maybe Randall and, you know, and even the Randall's biggest critics and I count myself among them would admit they place that guy in the worst possible situation for him to succeed. But look at Portis. Portis was part of a second unit, which if it was uh, Frank, Mitch, um, Knox, not well, it was Frank, Frank, Mitch and Knox were the three primary pieces. And then there was like, insert your shooting guard here. Sometimes it was Dotson. Sometimes it was Ellington. Those units were good. I, for, I don't have it at the tip my, at my fingertips. I'll, I could look it up very quickly, but like from my recollection, Frank plus Knox plus Mitch plus Portis 
was a good foursome. And I'm, I will look it up when when I turn the mic over to you. So the notion that like, like if a guy if a guy is in the NBA, the odds are he is capable of making others around him better. The problem with last year's Knicks is they were so poorly constructed that no one could make anybody else better at, because nobody was that good. Like making other players better regardless of the situation that you're in, that is a skill. There's very few players that possess that ability. LeBron James is obviously the most famous example, but like, you know, the the – the the worse you are at it, like the lower down the pole, the totem pole of superstardom you are, and this is what I define superstardom as, um, how easy it is for you to make other players better. Like the lower you are, the better the players have to be around you for you to up their game. And the Knicks didn't have anybody high up that totem pole last year. Julius Randle certain isn't that high. And thus, nobody made each, anybody better. That's the first thing. Second thing that I want to say, the idea of vet players versus young players, I think, is not the conversation that we need to be having. It's about, are you playing guys that help you win, or are you playing guys that don't help you win? Because, like, you just mentioned RJ and Mitch were the two guys who played above 23 minutes a game who are under, you know, whatever age they are, 22. Mitchell Robinson was the Knicks, I say he was the Knicks best player last year, if you want to quibble and say he was the second or third best, whatever. That guy made them a better team when he was on the floor. Like, Damian Dotson, again, quibble if you want. I believe next year he is someone that will be able to make someone make the team better if he's on the floor. Frank Nilakina, if God forbid he ever learns how to hit a jump shot at a league average rate, that guy will 1000% be a player that. So at that point, he is a vet, right? This whole like vets versus kids conversation, he becomes a vet because he's someone that when you put him out there, he makes the other players better. Um, so it's like, I. I it's really a conversation of like, are you playing guys that don't make it easier for you to win basketball games? That's what the conversation is about, which I think is a little bit of a different conversation than some people are having on Twitter. Do you, do you follow me? Yeah, I do. And I think that it perfectly lines up with the direction of the team next year because you could get veterans who bring this team to, you know, closer to, I don't want to say, I don't want to put a number to it, but let's say that they're able to play meaningful games in March and April. How about that? And you can do that. If, whether or not it's at the expense of the players, the young players on your roster is a different story. Or you could also go after, you know, your, don't be offended here, but your Lance Thomases of the world, guys who are just great mentors who are not going to do quite a lot on in terms of positive impacts on the court. And it's going to be left to carry a lot of, you know, by these younger players. And I'm very curious about the direction, but one of the things I feel like is very much being left out is let's go with the route of the Knicks want to secure a better draft uh, position, right? And it makes sense. Of course, you get a great asset out of it, and with the lottery, you hope that you move up. Here's the thing, though. Uh, yes, obviously, you can move down with the lottery. That happens with the Knicks every single time. They have yet to move up once in the lottery, so we're very familiar with staying at the same spot or dropping down. But I don't think that the long-term impacts of COVID are really being taken under consideration because we just saw the NCAA cancel March Madness. And we are seeing football, college football, 
getting very concerned, some even saying, you know, we're going to cancel our athletics in the fall completely, or um, at least we're going to, not for the winter sports, but um, it, there's, there's a great concern. So my question is, if you're the Knicks, and let's say the NBA is able to do some sort of bubble system for all 30 teams, if this works out with the 22, then great. I think that's an awesome blueprint for what you can do if the world is still not safe. Uh, pathologically speaking, I guess. Um, and it won't what be. Happened, right, exactly. So if college basketball is canceled, then the draft, which is a crapshoot to begin with, is now an even bigger crapshoot because you will only be going off of guys who have played college ball and that was a year ago, or you'll be going off guys who only play high school. So yeah, you could have Cade Cunningham ent- uh, enter and he'll be number one. And maybe you could do a G League bubble and those guys will rise to the top. But then what happens to the players in high school who maybe would have been, you know, like your top five guys and suddenly they don't have the chance to play. And because other players due to hype or the fact that they're physically playing in the G League or internationally, their stock rises. And basically what it's telling me is that it's it's unlike any other draft year, even like this one. It's completely different in the sense that we already got to see a lot of these players play. What happens if the only experience we have to go off is high school ball? And that's what it used to be, right? But then, of course, they're the players who just have been off for an entire year. So you're telling me that if the NBA is able to get back on track and college basketball isn't, that you're comfortable with essentially tanking a year and – winding up with a prospect that could be worse because he's a year removed from playing. It's something that I just, I don't think is being properly talked about. And it's very important into the direction of the team next year and uh, or at least years forward. Well, if the next couple of years is going to go how I, if the next couple of years is going to go how my guess, if I had to pick the most light, the, the, if I had to pick the likeliest scenario, I think the Knicks look at their own 2021 draft pick um, as, argue, I think, the best asset that they're willing to trade. And I, I, I want to couch that before people get fucking crazy, because I would get crazy if, if that was the only thing that was said. The, the the notion of them even entertaining a trade for that pick at, at the present time is insane. Let me repeat that. Despite everything you just said, Jeremy, which I agree with, it's going to be the next year's draft is going to be the crapshoot of crapshoots. Um, it's going to reward um, people who do their homework, which, again, um, Leon Rose, keep hiring scouts, baby. Uh, it's, it's like... <laughs> Seriously, hire hire me. I'm available. I, I don't really know how to scout, but I'll I'll figure it out. Um, uh, what was I saying? Yes. So even with that, the the notion of them trading their pick now uh, or before the season starts, or even like early in the season, is and and honestly, quite frankly, at any point before next year's draft lottery, is insane because the the chance at Cade Cunningham, um. Or a couple of these other guys, you know, uh, Kuminga, who just reclassified. There's a couple others that are like, these are like, all of these guys would be no doubt about it, number one picks this year. Like, you don't give that up. The reason I say that I, I, if I had to bet, I would bet that the Knicks are currently looking at that pick as their best trade asset is I would think they think that they're going to finish with, I don't know if you want to put a number on it, 35 wins next year. 
Like I th- like you said, competitive basketball in March and April, right? So competitive basketball in March and April means that you're going to finish with something in the mid 30s. Is that fair? Yes. Although the one thing I just want to add is that we know that Brock Aller and the Cavs did a great job with pick protections, and for all we know, the Knicks could be saying, you know, next year, and- let's let's try to stay in the top ten and let's trade up our let's trade our 2021 pick top ten protected. And I'm, I'm all up- for that. Right. Great. Exactly. Wonderful. Awesome. The the point is, like, I think that pick is going to be on the table, but whether it's with protections or they're not going to trade it until they know for a fact it's not going to be one of those top guys, I think they're looking at that as an asset, which is, again, it gets back to your main premise that you started out this part of the discussion as, like, they're, they're going to win. They're going to try to win games next year. Like, I... I don't know how else we could say that. It's just a matter of what way they go about trying to win games. That's the only question left. Um, and this notion, just to, to put a bow on the first part of our conversation, this notion that like if Kenny Atkinson is hired, you're going to get some different you know, collection of players on the floor in terms of like the rotation. Like, no, that's like, it doesn't matter who they hire as the coach. They're hiring the coach to play a rotation that is going to be – I would be shocked if it is not the case. That is going to be very obvious in terms of like these are the guys that, that they are giving the coach to play. And it's going to be the, the 10 or 11 best guys for the purposes of winning games. Whether it's Atkinson, whether it's Tibbs, whether it's fucking Jason Kidd, that's not going to change. So – you know, and now it's just a matter of like, who do we think they're going to get? Which is, I think, leads us to the the last part of this discussion, which is like, are they going to go out and get explicitly like win now pieces at all costs? In terms of when I say all costs, I mean like contract dollars and more importantly years, or are they basically going to just try to do the best that they can? A shopping on the bargain bin, which to me means one year contracts. And B, I guess, taking on, you know, an occasional salary dump. Um, I'm of the opinion that they're not going past one year on anybody. And I think that includes Damian Dotson, who's a restricted free agent. I think they'll tender the qualifying offer, if anything. But that's it. Where are you at on this? Yeah, you know me. I still am of the... I still believe that they're going to target the 2021 free agency class. And I could see, first of all, I think Dotson could easily be a goner just based on the fact that he's very new to this. Uh, He being Leon Rose, he didn't draft him. We've heard that. I'd also love to see Dotson maybe back on a small two-year deal. He hits the market when he's 28. He makes a small increase. The Knicks can go over the cap to re-sign him. They can trade him. Uh, however they please, and it's not some sort of owner's deal, I think it makes sense to keep him as well. But yes, I think that focusing on the present and trying to maximize your your younger guys for long-term value, that's something that needs to be done. And I really like the fact that with these Knicks hires, that they're very analytically focused because we can talk about you know, how, however much we want with these players in terms of veterans and uh, the younger guys, but the reality is that the front office has data points and sets that are, you know, far, far better than anything that we could come up with, right? At least that's certainly the hope. So 
if they're able to figure out and project who might be able to be great, like Frank Nilakina, maybe Leon Rose thinks he can be a great player, and the front office says, like, hey, here's the data that we have to back it up and why we project that he should be making this amount. And so we should go out and offer him this contract because we think that maybe after this year he could be worth this much. Um, or maybe after this year he's worth this much less. So, but we need, yes. but hold on, we need more nuance in that discussion, right? Because Frank Milkin is a great, a great talking point where there's a way that they could build this team next year where Frank Nilakina is still on it, but is that has the, you know, seventh highest or eighth highest usage on the team. He is anything but featured. However, he plays 25 to 30 minutes a game and is an absolute glue guy on defense. He affects everything that they do on the defensive end when he's in the game. So I think there's a world where they bring in high usage vets, but can still um, increase the value of the of some of the young players in certain roles. You, you get what I'm saying? I do. And the Luol Deng conversation that's been kind of going around in terms of Tibbs and how Tibbs said to the front office, you know, get Deng paid. He need, he deserves the money. And they said no. And then he forced the offense through him and he started playing incredibly well. And then the front office realized we can't keep him, so we have to trade him. And he was worth far more. And then he got an incredibly lucrative four-year, $64 million deal from the Lakers. Like – I'm not saying that will be a player like Frank, but I could see if Tibbs is here, him using a player like Frank more and having his value increase and potentially locking up Frank before then, then makes it that type of contract look like a steal. But again, like this is just kind of the things you have to think about as you're trying to figure out what your long-term goals are. And I don't see it being just like, hey, let's Let's draft all these kids and we'll play them a lot and we'll see where the cards fall because that's just not going to happen. Um, but I do just want to say one quick thing about draft picks. This is an oxymoronic way of uh, viewing it, but this is kind of how I see it. It's very possible to have not enough picks and too many picks at the same time. And the reason I say that is because you could look at a year like 2021 where the Knicks have their own pick. They have the Mavericks first round pick, they have the Hornets second round pick, and they have the Pistons second round pick. And right now, I mean, that's almost a third of your roster. It's too many picks. It's too many picks, right? So it seems like it's too many, but right now we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about 2021 at this very moment. So to me, what I'm basically see what I'm basically saying is that you should go out and get more picks because if you can then you can then do more with that. You can trade up. You can trade out. You can trade for a star. So again, I think that you should be looking into getting draft picks. They shouldn't be the end-all, be-all here. But they're important enough where they are still assets. And so it's the sort of thing we're looking at players on the roster. If you can trade them for something because you don't see them, the players currently on the roster as having any uh, real long-term value to your team, like a, a Dennis Smith Jr. type of player maybe, then it makes sense to trade him for I, Maybe an upcoming. Pick. I was about to say I knew he was the guy you were getting at, and I, I just, man, I wish I thought he was worth his contract next year. I don't. I don't think he's a. I think I don't think he's even a net neutral asset at this point. I don't. I think more teams than not would think that he's not worth the five. What is it? Five point. It's five point something million. around there. But here's what I'll say instead. I mean, you can find a team like. Um, 
don't know, just some team that and, and Randall's in the same boat. We should just for anybody thinking that, like, yeah, he's he's in the same boat. Right. It's not the easiest of things, but it's the sort of thing where it's a one year flyer on a player who, if you're a younger team and you're looking for some sort of depth at point guard, maybe you just take essentially what the Knicks did with Moutier. You could say that other teams are smarter than that, and I would be inclined to agree with you, considering where the front office of the Knicks was when that trade was made. But it's a, it's still, there might be someone who can say, let's try to unlock that talent. But it's not just Dennis Smith Jr. I mean, you could look at a player like Kevin Knox. And I'm not saying give up on Kevin Knox. I think that selling him at a low point is in some ways a mistake. But with Dennis Smith Jr., I would say it's not about selling him at a low point. It's about selling him uh, at all. And if you don't trade him at all, then basically you're letting a vital piece of your Porzingis trade walk. If you can try to get something, just anything uh, out from him, then that's great. But I don't see Dennis Smith Jr. having the playing time or really the ability to overhaul his asset value to the point where the Knicks can trade him um, mid-season for something that's so much different than what they would get now. So that's the interesting part of the conversation. And uh, by the way, you just mentioned Knox's name, but reminded me. Um, Nilakina, Knox, Robinson, and Portis in 159 minutes together last season. Uh, net rating of plus 12.1. Offensive rating of 108.5. Defensive rating of 96.4. How you doing? They like them apples. Um, so, yeah, Bobby Portis, uh, ultimate teammate. Anyway, um, like DSJ and Knox, that's really what the conversation comes down to when we talk about this idea of like, if they're not like world, anyone clutching their pearls over them, not playing the kids, you're clutching your pearls over those two guys. Um, Because like with all due respect to Iggy Brasdakis, who I, I'm sure I'm going to get shit from my buddy Bernard on this, but like the guy was the 40, what pick in the draft? It's like, 47th, maybe? 40, whatever. Like, yes, he had a wonderful league year in the G League when he got time there. It's like you're not – you don't make organizational plans or roster decisions around that guy. And, it, hell, as much as I love him, same goes for Damian Dotson. It's like DSJ and Knox, those were at one time real assets. And right now they are not really great assets. So it's like do you punt, Um, yeah, which means either – selling now at whatever value they have or going into the season, knowing that you are not necessarily going to be playing them and then having whatever value they have left, arguably decrease even further. Um, I, you know, that's, that's the probably that along with how they approach this draft pick. And that's the last thing that I want to say, um, I think is the most interesting question for me because we keep talking about this, idea of playing guys who are going to help them win games. And, you know, that means going out and getting, you know, something more than just vet mentors, getting guys who are going to get the ball and like try to, you know, and like play a real role on this team. Um, I.e. not Lance Thomas. Um, if they draft a rookie point guard with their first pick, which me, you, everybody in the whole world, has been assuming for months on end that that is what they are going to do. How does that jive with everything we're saying and all of the messaging that we're getting? I don't know that it does. And it confuses me a little bit because like, 
I don't care who you like. Killian Hayes, LaMelo Ball, Cole Anthony, Tyrese Halliburton. If you trot any of those guys out there as the nominal point guard next year and play them 30 minutes a night, it's going to be ugly. It's not going to be good. Even Ball, who I love. You know I love Ball. Anybody who's read my stuff knows I think they should go out and get LaMelo Ball. Like, that guy's going to be ass bags on defense. And he's not going to hit shots at a high clip next season. He's not, he's not going to help you win games. So I don't know what they do. I, that's the part that confuses me. Yeah. I think in that case, you probably find a veteran backup point guard who you start, you know, whoever that player is, if it's Ball, Hayes, Lewis, whoever, you start him. Maybe you have uh, the backup behind him, obviously. And uh, it's versatile. Well, it's someone who can just actually play make. And then you could potentially pair him with someone like Frank, who is very good as a secondary playmaker. And that he, but he still gets experience on ball, and you can kind of try to run a two-point guard or multi-ball handler approach. That sort of thing where, yes, I agree, if you run a rookie point guard out there, he's going to struggle. And as a result, so is the team. And I always go back to what Bobby Marks was talking about, which is his philosophy with the front office was basically you can get a rookie ball handler and have um, several veterans around him, or you can have a veteran ball handler and a lot of rookies. So then, yeah, I mean, if you're going to play this draft pick 30 minutes a night, but if you can also play your backup who is established and experienced um, 25 minutes a night, what is that really taking away from? If anything, it feels like you're putting the younger players like your RJ or your Mitch in a position to succeed because they're able to have a point guard who is more experienced. When when on this show did you make my head explode with the Giannis AD thing? Was that uh, last week or was that two weeks ago? It was like every week, dude. I, I <laughs> No, when did you really go for it? It was like it was... Um I wanna say it was two weeks ago. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna it's my turn. Okay. You ready? Yes. They hire tips. They don't draft the point guard with their first pick. They instead draft Isaac Okoro. I don't know how, how much have you been. Have you studied the draft at all? A bit, yeah. Again, uh, I I lean on guys like Spencer and and so, Chris uh, and others who are more. But yes, yes, I have. Okoro I just, is Okoro is widely considered. I actually I shouldn't say this. I was about to say he's widely considered like the best defender. At the very least, he's he's considered the most ver- best and most versatile defender. Um, of anyone being considered for the lottery, um, he's a he's a you know two hundred twenty five pound um six 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 seven built like a Mack truck, versatile the whole thing. He is like the guy that t- like you want to talk about Tib salivating. Give him this guy. Then. With they, they'll probably they'll keep one of the later two picks, the first one probably the Clippers pick, and they'll draft a young point guard with that pick. And you know who I think they're gonna go for, or who who they would go for in this crazy thing that I was thinking of earlier this weekend. Um, I get the brothers' names confused, so I have to look it up real quick because there's the two Jones kids that both went to Duke. One of them is in the NBA right now and played meaningful minutes. Tyus is in Memphis. Tyus, okay. Trey so, Jones is from Duke. Okay. They well, take Trey. Open. They take Trey Jones. Tyus Jones. I was looking up the numbers of uh, his time under Tibbs in Minnesota, and man, 
lineups that featured um, Tyus Jones and Jimmy Butler on the defensive end of the floor were beyond outstanding. And Trey Jones is an even better defender than Tyus. He's small. He's not a big guy. He's like, he's 6'3", and he's, you know, not, like, built. Um, so they do that all with the thinking of we're either going to, like, one of these guys, you know, Mitchell, Booker, Trey Young, like, name your Knicks future point guard target here. Um, like they're going to get one of those guys in the next couple of years as they're, that's going to be the guy who's going to run the offense. And I understand Devin Booker is not a point guard, but like, whatever, they would make it work. He's their engine. He'd be their engine. Um, or which I know is flies in the face of your theory. They figure out a way to, to make the Chris Paul trade work this summer, um, and have him come in. And he is, as you said, the veteran ball handler, and maybe it makes it easier to play some other young guys. That's my crazy batshit theory for this week. Okay. I thought you were going to go in a different direction. I thought you were going to say that the Knicks will draft a shooter in the first round, like, um, Vassell or Avdia and try to basically leave that lead guard spot open so they could say, Hey, you know, We've got someone to plug in there, but we've got shooters all around except for Mitchell Robinson and then opening up and saying, well, I mean, obviously RJ's not really a shooter either, but you get the point. They're trying to space the floor up a little bit more and still have a competent win now point guard who can uh, up the win total. Who knows? You know, I mean, you could go any which way. But again, I with Chris Paul, I still just I have such a hard time seeing them I look, take on that contract. I know with the money. I get it. I get it. But. Like you and I both know there's a universe where if they take him on and two guys want to come, like they would just package the assets needed to get rid of him at that point. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. We'll see. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Listen, uh, this is what happened. This is where you, this is where you get to when you talk about a team over the course of a four month stretch in which they don't play a single basketball game and don't like do anything other than make some front office hires around and around the, um, the merry-go-round we go. We have become the hungry dogs. Oh my God. We are the hungry dogs. That's a good band name. How has no famous band ever been named the hungry dogs? Well, there's a song. I mean, you obviously know hungry, like the wolf. wolf. I played that song many a time, um, in, in many a bar, uh, but no, no hungry dogs band. I, I, I if I was if I'm gonna ever create a band and, and I, I say that with trepidation as I can't <laughs> sing and, and uh, don't play an instrument, I'm gonna name it the hungry dogs. That's it. All right, I think that's it. Uh, let's get to anything else from you, Jeremy. Uh, in terms of Nick's basketball, no. no I think <laughs> that's all. <laughs> uh, I was about to say before we get to our plug. So I'm gonna I'll turn it to you. Uh, what do you What do you want to plug first? Yeah. So as Many of you probably know that uh, civil rights leader and U.S. Congressman John Lewis died at 80 this past Friday of uh, cancer. You know, I've seen a lot of people say vote as a response to his death. And while they're not wrong, it's also a comment that's somewhat rooted in ignorance. It fails to properly encapsulate the rampant voter suppression that exists in this country today. Um, And, you know, it's kind of fitting that of this week Lewis would pass – um, there was a Supreme Court uh, ruling. Uh, and Florida is one of 11 states where felons lose their rights indefinitely and may require a governor's pardon. Uh, these once convicted felons would go before 
the governor. In this case, uh, recently, it was Rick Scott, um, former governor and current U.S. Senator of Florida, and they beg for that right to vote. During Scott's two terms as governor, he restored voting rights for over 3,000 people. His predecessor, Charlie Crist, restored voting rights for over 150,000 people in one term. So if he were to have been here for a second term, that would be 300,000 versus 3,000. There are 1.4 million Floridians who cannot vote. That's 10% of the state's population. They remain voiceless. And in 2018, Florida held a referendum, and almost two-thirds of voters agreed that formerly convicted felons held the right to vote. I mean, they served their time. They should be able to vote. Then the Republican-controlled state legislature uh, passed a law that gave these convicts the right to vote if they paid all fees, fines, restitutions. Should a billionaire like Mike Bloomberg or Tom Steyer or whoever uh, use their wealth to pay off all penalties? Well, it's not my money. Uh, I shouldn't say how they should spend theirs, but if they're committed to bettering the world, that's a pretty great start. Except there are two major issues here. Uh, there shouldn't be a system in place where we need to rely on the rich to pay off poll taxes, and there isn't even a system that's been set up to keep track of the penalties that these felons owe. As I mentioned, this is a poll tax. It's in direct violation of the Constitution and the 24th Amendment, which was passed in 1964. After it passed, President Lyndon Johnson stated that there can be no one to, too poor to vote. There's no longer a tax on, his, on rights. The only enemy to voting that we face today is indifference. And again, I talked about the SCOTUS ruling. Uh, basically, they reversed it. They said, no, not true. It was never really true in reality, but now it's especially not true in theory. Uh, these people, they were unable to vote as a result of, in many, uh, a bipartisan crime bill passed in 1994 by the U.S. Congress. And they were often exploited by private prisons and made essentially nothing, while the prisons all profited just from having people in-house. Many of those seeking the right to vote are black, and politically speaking, they align themselves with the left. Government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. That's what President Lincoln stated in the Gettysburg Address in 1863. And 100 years later, at the March of Washington, before the 24th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were passed, John Lewis said, as it stands now, the voting section of the Civil Rights Bill of 1964 will not help thousands of black people who want to vote. It will not help the citizens of Mississippi, of Alabama, and Georgia, who are qualified to vote but lack a sixth grade education. One man, one vote is the African cry. It is ours too. It must be ours. Voting's not enough. Everyone should be eligible to vote. And so my point here is that there are still open spots to talk about the Knicks or heckle John in the name of creating a more equal and just nation by donating to Higher Heights of America, an organization that John has certainly plugged before, which invests in black women and creates an environment for them to vote, run for office, win, and lead. Um, and if there are any spots that should they all fill up, um, and you feel the need to donate, uh, please send me a DM, picture of your receipt, a uh, message that you want to pass along, and if it's appropriate, I will gladly read it aloud in the pod. Uh, no, I'll do one better. Um, listen, there's there's not going to be a, a limit on spots. Uh, for however many people want to do this, um, so for anybody listening who missed the last couple episodes, the newsletters, um, as Jeremy just said, um, for next week's episode, I'm, I'm soliciting um, like donations. Uh, my ask is thirty dollars. Although you're certainly um, uh, up if you want to donate more, that's fine. Um, get you a five minute spot. And again, as Jeremy said, uh, that money goes to Higher Heights for America. Um, which is as also Jeremy said, trying to get more Black women involved in uh the electoral process, both both in official seats in government and also at the voting booth. Um. 
I have to ask before I say what I want to say in response to that. Did you did you did you have like a prepared statement or was that off the cuff? Uh, a little bit of both. That was very well done. As as someone who has had to give closing arguments in front of juries, I could not tell whether or not that was fully prepared or it was off the cuff. Um, couple things. One, um, I am. I don't know why I didn't retweet this. Um, I'm retweeting it right now. So if you want to look for it, go look on my Twitter feed for something I retweeted at, uh, what time is it? 6.09 on Sunday night. Um, Angus Johnston, who is a uh, historian of and advocate for American student activism. He's also a CUNY professor and calls himself an aging doofus. He had a great thread um, on, what's today? The 19th? So yesterday, yesterday morning on the original speech that John Lewis. So for those who don't know, John Lewis was one of the speakers for um, at the I Have a Dream Day, uh, the the March on Washington in 1963. Um, John Lewis's original speech originally, and I have to laugh because, man, was this original speech of his full of piss and vinegar. Um, they neutered it essentially, and they neutered it because they felt like it was a little bit too much. Even, yeah. Well, you read it, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> man, um, I would if if you're if you're listening to this and you're like your blood is boiling that we're spending time talking about this. I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't give a fuck. Um, two, if you're if you're listening to this and you're interested in um these sorts of matters go go look at the thread that i retweeted go read go listen to his original speech read read the alterations because um he had it right uh how many years are we removed 50 god how many years ago was 1963 57 years ago 57 years ago um the things that he wanted to talk about then and weren't wasn't allowed to are it's the same it's the same stuff we've been talking about the last several months um almost almost frighteningly um, similar. Uh, is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, time is a flat circle, unfortunately, in this case. And I guess the one thing uh, to kind of, so we can still end this on a Nick's note, because uh, I actually forgot to say this, and it happened in between this and your last podcast, is, hey, unofficial congrats to Mitchell Robinson for making hey! Will Chamberlain's uh, yes. historic field goal percentage in a single season for anyone who thinks that that's not impressive uh it should have been done before it wasn't so clearly it is and if you are elite at putback dunks and being an incredible lob threat then that is still an elite quality so congrats to mitch that's really awesome congrats yes congrats to mitch um yes all right we, we get it i was gonna say one more thing about yes please no no i, I no no go right ahead this is the teacher in me coming out you know if, if you're I, I know we have i know i have some younger listeners to the show um, and it, I take for granted the fact that not everybody has maybe uh, been lucky enough to have the educational advantages that I have had. But like, if you want to know why things are the way they are in this country, there's a lot of reasons for it, but having to do with education and the industrial prison complex and the whole thing. But like, um, go educate yourself on like voting and voting rights and redlining and gerrymandering and all that stuff. It's, um, I didn't really know about it until I went to law school, to be honest, which is kind of shameful, but it's the truth. Um, so I, I don't put it past any other educated person, maybe not being fully informed themselves. Um, but if you take the time to 
um, educate yourself on those matters. I think what Jeremy talked about uh, earlier will maybe um, hit a little bit, you know, it, it'll, it'll hit a little bit harder. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, as, as this is a basketball podcast, we don't, we don't want to go on and on about this stuff, but, um, we both, me and you both feel very passionately about it. So, you know, whatever we have the platform, might as well use it. Um, any, anything else before we get out of here, Jeremy? I think that's enough for today. (laughs) I think, I think it's time for another refill on my, uh, glass of white wine. Um, man, if 2020 doesn't cause you to, to drink, white wine earlier and earlier in your day. I, I, I shouldn't limit it to white wine, whatever your drink of choice is. Will, will you be having a cocktail this evening, Jeremy? Yeah, I think I'm going to go for a quick bike ride and then I'll probably have a G&T, some wine. And I'll probably call it a night. A G&T and then some wine. Yeah, what's wrong with cocktails before you're, you know. No, I, I listen. I might have um, a beer because I think we're going to have uh, rice and beans so and some other really good food with that but uh yeah so i might do beer instead i i can't remember the last time i had a cocktail before i get I get, maybe have i ever had a cocktail at home and then moved on to like a beer prop maybe no no that's a lie i if i'm, <laughs> if I'm drinking a cocktail i'm drinking cocktails all right that's enough uh everybody thank you for listening to us for another episode of john and jeremy's uh history lesson um join us for um the next episode of the next film school podcast which will actually be coming at you um early this week um featuring a guest that i have never had before but i'm very excited to have on and then um you know Expect an emergency pod if and when, uh, if and when the the coaching news drops. Who knows? Maybe they'll never hire a coach, Jeremy. You never know. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see you then, everybody. Have a uh, have a great week.